Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. I'm with my friend Dennis Eastman again because we're doing our monthly series on uh, stories of becoming more human. And Dennis, it's great to be with you. Always love seeing you. Hope you had a great <laughs> holiday. Um, but today we're with a friend from England, uh, Alicia Lewis. And I've gotten to know Alicia over the last really 16 to 18 months and had the opportunity to host a podcast with her for the called Connected Committed podcast uh, for the Church of England. And I'm just super excited to delve into this conversation with Alicia because she's become a leader in her setting and she's become a, a leader in our setting here in the United States where she's had an impact and a significant impact on, on many school leaders that, that we've become friends with. And so Alicia, I'm just gonna throw it over to you. Tell us more about who you are the work that you get to do, and maybe start us out with that place where it's like, you know what, here's a realization where I became impacted by my students, my community, by my work, rather than always looking outward at that impact. Well, thank you for inviting me to be part of this. It's really exciting. And yeah, so what I do, I'm really lucky and really privileged that I get to actually wear quite a few different hats. Uh, so I work three days a week as a deputy head teacher uh, in my school, which is in Southend, which is about 40 minutes away from London. Uh, we've got nearly 700 children and we're really lucky that actually 40% of those children, if not slightly more than that now, are actually from a, a cultural heritage that is not white British. So we're quite a diverse community and really luckily and really valuable for that. Uh, the other two days a week, I actually work uh, for the Church of England's Foundation of Educational Leadership, which is where we join together, uh, myself and Eric, and I work um, with the Church of England to write senior leadership programs um, for other aspiring leaders or leaders who are already in those roles in school. Um, but other hats that I hold that I'm really privileged and really proud to have is that I actually work with lots of schools uh, in my local area on identity and diversity within the curriculum. I do lots of training nationally on English. That was my first area of expertise, but that has widened again into actually how we can develop staff understanding and our curriculums so that they are actually reflective of all of our children, that we do not continue to marginalise stereotypes or that we do not continue to advantage one group of children because actually the curriculum is really based upon those. So that's kind of some of the things I do. And I'm also really proud that I get to run leadership programmes that I've written um, for other leaders of an ethnic minority background who actually want to go further into leadership and for whatever reason have found barriers along the way. So um, a person who holds many hats, but they're all hats that I'm really proud and really passionate about. And how that work always links together is something that um, is wonderful to see and the growth and the journey that comes through it for myself, as well as for the others that I work with, is something that's beautiful to watch as well. So thinking about how what's impacted me, um, I know this is about stories in becoming more human um, and the story I'd like to share is actually a story that links on both fronts because it's not just about um, our students but also about one of my children because my children are actually at the school that I teach in um, and something that really shifted the work that I do um, and really kicked it into gear was actually the uh, murder of George Floyd and a story that I share with everybody when I go to their schools or when I have conversations with others um, about why I do the work that I do is really evidenced in a conversation that I had with my, at the time, 
uh, nine-year-old. Um, actually, it was, you know, we sat there and we watched, as was on the news, all that had happened with George Floyd. Um, and he asked the question very openly and said, could this happen to my brothers? Because he himself, uh, when he was born, my husband and I were both very astounded that he was, we had my exact face, but he was so white. He was so pale skinned with blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, whilst my husband was crying in the whole, I've had a baby. I was just like, he looks like my face, but not my face. You know, it was very strange. But as I've had two more sons since, they have become increasingly shades darker. Uh, and he was, as a nine-year-old, very aware that actually what had happened in front of his eyes wouldn't happen to him necessarily. But awareness as a nine-year-old that actually that whole scenario could happen to his brothers. Um, and why that impacted me personally, but also as a school, was I sort of thought, actually, I'm here in this lockdown situation with you, seeing this play out and we've got everything happening with COVID and we've got this situation where, you know, those of a global majority are actually disproportionately affected by COVID. So we're living in communities where people are not just worried about are their loved ones going to come home from their jobs or from hospital, but they've also got this to now contend with as well. Um, and I went back to school and I told my staff the story and I had them all in tears. But I said, this is because we have to move on now. We can't keep having the same conversation. We've got to actually do something now because this is a reality. I think it's very easy to remove yourself from these realities if you're not in that situation. And I put the situation to my staff and I said, my son is a member of our school community. And so what he is thinking impacts every single one of us here. And that really was a steering moment because he wasn't just a boy from a poster. He wasn't just a story in a book. He is a child, as are my other two children, that they directly know. And that made a big difference. Because everything I've done with my staff since, I mean, in the five years I've been here, I've slowly drip, 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 dripped all this narrative. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm not drip feeding this to you anymore. This is the reality. And it made a huge difference. And the work that I've done with um, our own pupil population, talking about these sorts of things, it's been really impactful to actually share their stories with the staff to kind of take off that rose tinted glasses of, oh, it might not be like that here, or it might not be like that in this community and saying, actually, this does happen. I recall, I think I was in my third or fourth year of teaching a long time ago now. And one of my families, one of the children in my class wasn't at school for four days because they were seeking refuge because they had had a feces left on their doorstep because they are a black family. And I worked in a Catholic school then. So, you know, the area where I have, we, we have Catholic communities, we've got church communities, we've got Christian communities, we've got Hindus. We, we are lucky to be in such a multi-faith place to live and now increasingly multicultural. However, to return home to find things like that on your doorstep in this day and age is just disgusting. But it's the reality. And I think, so for me, 
how we become more human in what we do is that we actually do not shy away from the reality of others. And that acknowledgement that even if it isn't your reality, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And sharing that, I think, can be really powerful in encouraging others to see things from a different perspective and also encouraging others to go forth on their own journey of learning. Because in these situations, we are constantly learning and we have to be. Um, but we have to move alongside what is happening in the real lives of our children. We quite often as leaders go from um, assumption rather than assessment. This is what we think people are feeling. This is how we think our communities are. This is what we think our families want. And actually what we need to do is stop thinking and actually going and asking. Alicia, that's so powerful. I love everything you just said. <laughs> So if I can offer a next question, what practically are you doing at your site um, to encourage uh, the telling of stories? These can be very shameful things. Very few people want to say there was feces left on my doorstep because of who I am. That's, oh my goodness, incredibly powerful. And yet you're trying to lend voice to this, the people um, in your staff, in your community. So I guess my, my question, if you could help us see what that looks like, sounds like, acts like for your community, what is perhaps a forum that you're, that you're providing to your community to have voice, um, to bring out things like this so that we can learn from one another? I think within within the staff, it's just that building that community, building that safe space and building with each other that capacity that actually if we talk to each other more, we will learn so much from each other. But those sorts of really um, bearing vulnerable stories are not easy to put across and talking to my staff about what my son said I was standing there crying whilst talking about it but it's that vulnerability which then builds a community where people can see that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's all right to share those experiences and also I think it's quite humbling for others to realize that actually they're they might not be in a position of having the answer I don't necessarily want them to be but actually what I do would what I do want and what I do hope is that actually everybody in our community is open to listening. And I think the more that we can do to model that listening, the richer we become. And I think it's the same with our families. You know, that we have families who naturally feel comfortable sharing things with some members of staff compared to others through various reasons, just as we as as human beings do. We build relationships, don't we, with different people. And so you feel that comfortability. But I think what we've always tried to share as a staff with our families is actually we are very warm and approachable and we will model that. We will share our experiences with you if that helps you as a parent to open up and share your experience on the other side. And what I try to do with staff is try and, I try and provide them with um, things they can listen to or things they can watch, things that are quite accessible. So 
you know, when they've got their own time, I can say, this is on this channel, watch this on Netflix. You know, this will really help you hear this. So you just those really easy things, because it can be really uncomfortable to put these things to the forefront. So the more that we can do to make it accessible for people, I think that does really help. You know, I've got to be honest, thinking about the workload of everybody, if I gave them this really big book about how to tackle racism and said, can you go and read that now? It, they won't get through it. But, you know, I gave each of the, the teachers in the school um, a, a history of Black Britain, well, it's a history of Black Britain, but I gave them the children's version because I said, actually, you can all get through that probably in about an hour one. It's all, you know, it's written in an accessible way. And when you're done, you put it in the classroom and the children can also use it. It's about thinking of ways to make these things that actually everyone needs to learn accessible to people so that you're not creating a bigger barrier by what we've already got. <laughs> because the barrier is already big. We don't need to make it any larger. A follow-up. I super appreciate your... Uh, sharing of how you are trying to move uh, from fringes to Main Street. Hey, this isn't fringes. This is not somebody else's street. This is our street. And we have to do something on our street, right? Yeah. Uh, we all can step over litter for a long time, but at some point you have to step down, you have to stoop down and pick it up and put it in the trash, right? You have to put it where it goes. Um, if you hope to clean up what's going on. So I'm curious, I, I hear what you're saying about um, introducing things to the staff and sharing your own personal story, so powerful. Um, to say, hey, this isn't just happening in some far off land. This is what my son mm -hmm. said, so powerful. My question, when you've got say a staff that is, I don't want to say resistant, but maybe incredulous. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're saying, you know, I, I get it because the extreme can feel so extreme. That's not us. We're, you know, um, yeah. maybe where I'm going is like, hey, anytime we have even a subtle, and I'm not talking about, um, well, I'm, I'm going to go on. I'll offer this. Sometimes I can't know that I'm offending you unless you actually open your mouth and say, hey, that was offensive, right? Mm -hmm. We can't always know. And then there's times that we have somebody say to us, hey, did you know that this is an offensive term? Oh, I did not know. And so there's some education that takes place. But many times, even amongst a sensitive community, you have those who don't believe that they're actually part of the problem. Or... Mm -hmm or doing things to propagate the problem. And so there's no change. Yeah. Or you'll have this incredulity. Oh, that sounds like it's over there, not over here. So what are some things that you can do as a leader to help chip away at those pockets of resistance that seem to be not getting the message? I think sometimes an equal thing that is as hard in this situation is, is the passive people. It's not even the most incredulous people. Sometimes it's the passive ones who actually are the really difficult ones because the passive ones, no, the incredulous ones, quite often, you know, if, if you engage with that banter with them and actually have a discussion, 
you could probably get somewhere. I think the harder avenue to tackle are the passive ones who kind of just a bit like, eh, I don't need to do this right now. Eh. And actually, it's the reason why we are where we are is because of passivity. It's because it's we'll 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 say the words, but we're not really fully invested in it. Um, we won't li- we don't really want to live and breathe it. But I think for both of those avenues, for those who really fight against it and those who are quite happy to just do nothing much at all, I think what is really powerful is saying, why did you come into this? You came into this. You came into education. You came into whatever avenue of education you, you are in, because there are lots of different ones. But you came into it to make a difference. And can you hand on your heart tell me that we are making a difference for this group of children or this group of children or this group of children? Or actually, what are we doing that is reinforcing stereotypes that are wrong? what are we doing that's actually providing them with the aspiration and if they can turn around and say here's x y and z then i can say right that's a start if they turn around and say oh we're not actually doing anything then for me there is the evidence of why we need to do more because you know there's so many places where the representation isn't acceptable and actually isn't representative of where of, of life and I think a good example is even in my own school where we have you know tackling things like racial discrimination and injustice we're tackling issues of equity and identity we are you know as a school as a church school we fully went to town with pride month last year for lgbtq which actually as a church school was a bit oh you know some people said that's really quite courageous I don't know why, because God's love is for everybody. But when, as a school, we looked at disability, that was where I found the Achilles heel of some people. Because again, it's about, like you said, Dennis, that language, language is often the first thing that comes up as an issue. And it's often because people are not very confident or haven't got a very good understanding. And that's why those issues of language can then cause friction. But again, because of what we have done and building up and actually just saying, are we really opening up our curriculum to this area? You know, we have got children within our community, within our families, within our school, who actually have a disability and where are they seeing themselves represented? This is why we are doing it. We are doing it so that every single one of our children can leave this school believing they can be absolutely anything with any opportunity that everyone else gets. And again, what we had to do is we had to put forth some really accessible resources, but also opened up that playing field for all the staff to come together to actually collaborate and have a discussion and say, put our hands up and say, we don't know much about this, but that doesn't mean we shy away from it. And I think with this sort of work, if you shy away from it, that's where the problem is. And the other aspect, which is often tricky, is people think that they can just go and tackle the curriculum without doing any work with the staff and the reality is if you just put some stuff in the curriculum and leave it at that 
it's never going to be anything more than lip service if the people who are delivering it don't have anywhere to take it. If the people who are delivering it cannot have a proper conversation with children about the history of racism and all of those things, it'll only go as far as, you know, that person's knowledge. You've got to really take it further. And so it's so, so much of this work is about the adults in that space engaging with what they do know, being honest and open about what they don't know but being really open to learn more because quite often the shouting and screaming and the you know being incredulous stems from a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge themselves and it's easier to say we won't do it than to say I'll look at myself internally and work out if I need to do some learning myself. So Alicia last question because then I, I think you you said something very early on that you kind of bring through this and you said don't shy away from the reality of others and and in this you're talking about you know like hey here's the curriculum and like what you just said is that only goes as far as the person yeah so so when you think about this and in the way that you received that conversation from from your son about his brothers and then Mm -hmm. you know and then as you shared that story with others how can we just in our schools and in our work and in our lives get to these places where we're not shy about entering into the lives of each other so that then we get to do this work better together because we truly know not just, you know, it is the depths and it is the distance of our own knowledge and experience. How do we live that out so that then our knowledge, our experience, who we are expands and so that they're, you know, and uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think a, a big part of it is just being willing to engage. And a big part of it is just is being open and honest with yourself. I think a lot of people come to this thinking they should know the answers to everything, because as as teachers, we're put in that position. As educators, we're always put in this position of expertise. You know, you you're the teacher. You must know. And the reality is, is we don't know. We don't know everything. And so you have to be really open to say to each other and say to yourself, where am I on this? You know, this is a journey that will never have an ending. This is a journey that will constantly grow and change as the world changes and as people change. And we have to be able to say, well, actually, I'm at zero and that's all right, but I want to get to one. Or I'm at nine. And actually, I'm going to share what I have done in my position of being at nine with everybody else so that they don't feel alone as they start this journey. And even with us as a staff team, it's saying, where are you on all of this? And being open to that, you know, I do assembly for the children every week and I record it because it goes people watch it when they want. And our collective worship lead said to me, oh, could you do this assembly on this Hindu festival? And I said, I can, but I'm going to ask Nima to do it because as a Hindu, what they'll get from Nima will be way better than what they get from me because what they get from me will be a, a culmination of what I'll find on Google. Whereas Nima lives and breathes her religion every day. So she's in a position to share that expertise with the children way more than me. And it's about almost having that time to. I don't want to use the word audit, but to a certain extent it is. It's seeing what you have within your own staff. It's seeing what you have in your local community, in your families, and utilising as much real life as you can, because that makes everyone inherently better. You know, there is no point in me finding a PowerPoint about the mosque when I could just walk my children 
down the road and visit the actual mosque where they will get so much better, such a better learning experience than my PowerPoint. And that's what we've got to do. This work takes so much collaboration, but the collaboration makes it so much better. But the more that we can be open and honest and take those journeys together, say, OK, we're going to look at this and we're going to look at it together. We're doing this topic in class. What do we know about it? What else can we do? How can we widen it? And I do say to people, you're going to do some really twee Google searching. You know, that people do worry about the tokenistic element. And I will say there will be a time where you are explicitly Googling for Asian scientists. But if you don't know, how else are you going to find out? So you've got to do the finding out. Just because you don't know it immediately doesn't mean you shouldn't find it out. And I think all of those skills we try and teach the children, we sometimes forget to do them ourselves. And if we want our children to be curious and inquisitive, and if we want them to take risks, and if we want them to ask questions that are tricky, and if we want them to push things, then we need to do the same thing ourselves. We have to model what we want our children to be. And if we're going to model closed-mindedness by staying in the box, then that's what we will get with our children. All right, I'm going to ask one last question. I always lie, and Dennis always knows this, that I ask <laughs> This more is the questions. extra one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the extra one. Bonus material. <laughs> I, I'm just interested because you've been on this project with me for the last 16 months or so where we've been working with leaders in the United States and in England. What, what's something, you know, I even think from that, expanding the box, right? We've expanded the box through <laughs> Zoom across... <laughs> you know, across nations, talking about leadership and talking about these issues of expanding our own boxes. What, what's something that you've taken away even personally from an experience like that that says, hey, here's something weird I've learned from the Americans, or here's something that, you know, has been helpful for me to be part of a part of something like that? I think what's been really valuable is actually just talking to people because the reality is it's the same issue it's the same issue but it's been so interesting to see how that issue is explored and played out in different settings and i think that's always useful you know just in this country but doing it internationally has added a different dimension because for me personally meeting people from the us who have the role of diversity leader who have been doing it for like five, 10 years is amazing because in this country, I will be honest, I have met some people who have now got the title of diversity leader within their school, but they got that purely as a school saying, we're doing something in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. That's what we're doing. We'll have a diversity leader. They haven't actually put in the work that goes alongside that. They haven't put in the work with the staff. And so I've got these diversity leaders like emailing me saying, I don't really know what to do with my role. And I'm like, actually, this, this is a role that's not new because some of your schools have had this for five, 10 years. And actually it's been really interesting to interact with those people to see actually the depth of the work they do and also the impact that work has made and also where it stemmed from, because it's not a new job role that wasn't just put into tick a box. Whereas I think in some places now, that's almost like, what well, this is what we'll put on our EDI statement. We'll have a diversity person and we'll tick it off, but they're 
it's that's lip service to the actual real work that has to be done underneath and i think that the the interaction i've had with those people from the us that who are in those jobs has been really powerful for me to actually say this is where you can go if you do this properly and if you do this with the real intentions at heart and those intentions are always the children and actually just how far something like that can go if the parameters and the the capacity for growth is put in place in that place of work. Alicia, thank you for sharing your expertise, your experiences, but particularly uh, the story with your son. Thank you for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure, gents, have to say. <laughs> Dennis, thank you as always. That was great. Really good.